much for your viewership. Iron sharpens iron and the friend sharpens the friend. I appreciate every single one of you. Namaste and shalom. Please like, subscribe, click all the things. Today we're going to be speaking about the earthly martial uh, aspects of this Naked Space program, uh, how super soldiers are being used in coordination with metaphysical and deep influences, as well as SSP elements in what we know as revolution in, on this plane, on this realm. What we know as the cycle of revolution of this uh, turmoil and, and tumult that we're experiencing in this new century. And um, kind of the globalization of tragedies, of change of fortunes, of uh, redistributions of wealth, and uh, elementally, fundamentally changing the understanding of the way we, our worldview, uh, the way we understand the world, the way that we, you know, our paradigm, our dichotomy, our zeitgeist, it's all um, in the wind, as it were, it's all up for grabs, because information is becoming the uh, power structure that is being vied for, no longer the means of production, no longer the means like livestock or, or abilities for prestige in society, or opportunity, or comfort of living compared to oppression and, and being oppressed or slavery and fighting for freedom. What we are seeing now is the fight to coordinate and to conduct our own education, our own, uh, you know, philosophizing and, and uh, discussion, as well as uh, conclusion uh, creation, as well as objective thinking. Can we participate in our own adventures? Can we be the heroes in our own world? Can we uh, actually validate our own existences with our own creative energies uh, in this new century? Because the old century was one, uh, a paradigm of centralized authority, of inorganic authority in societies where entire societies and populations would be ruled by single individuals or organizations with mimetic philosophies that were so strongly created that there was no individuality within those systems. Think the USSR, think the Empire of Japan, where you do have a god emperor the you know broadest spectrum of the word uh, controlling a society that is little more than a cult of personality and in those cults of personalities progress can be made but progress cannot be known cannot be realized cannot be discussed it cannot be made public everything that we exist in is a dictatorship of secrecy is a dictatorship of uh, conspiracy to keep these secrets to keep these actions uh, classified and above top secret where you see that there is no longer in our society a uh, urge to attain honesty within our government to attain honesty with our military to obtain some kind of authority equal to theirs you're seeing a a counter, not a counterculture revolution, because our culture is one of uh, countering itself. We are seeing a renaissance of extremist philosophy, the same that was seen in the earlier 1900s, uh, where people who have been marginalized, disenfranchised, upset, and basically discarded by the legitimizing forces of power, by the legitimizing standards of education, of professional merit, of accomplishment, uh, of physical attractiveness, beauty, desire, uh, basically the ability to achieve one's dreams. That has been robbed of 99% of the population 
as it stands now, regardless of who they are or where they're from. What we're seeing is that the revolution to take place in the century is to uh, re, uh, re-grasp, retain, retake those reins of uh, spiritual development, of uh, spiritual maturation, of individual growth and uh, prestige, of developing one's worth in society and one's worth the world as well as being able to dictate the worth of the world to oneself. Yeah, the idea of being able to dream a dream, to actually dream, to be free in one's dreams, to be the master of that reality, and to not um, fear or suffer the reprisals, the consequences, and the opinions of others, regardless of the trouble, the strife, the suffering, or the skill necessary to accomplish these deeds. It is becoming ever and ever more increasingly difficult as even our astral parasites, even our earthly parasites have astral parasites, and that our secret locations are themselves made even more secret, uh, spreading the idea of the Area 51 uh, nation um, uh, way outside the borders and into the wilds and in the frontiers, more so making the wild wilderness and the frontiers, making the natural world their domain, the domain of the societal masters of the of the class mastery that is um, occurring because one cannot uh, associate both with the fringes of the wilderness and the frontiers and not be seen as a mutant, not be seen as a misfit. And one cannot have this dual life where one is both considered uh, completely legitimate as well as completely revolutionary in their thinking. Once they start incorporating um, basically anomalous thoughts, uh, speculative thoughts, uh, realism that's absurdly profound, uh, one runs the risk of traumatizing uh, not only the self but others, and thus society is actively meant to suppress that, is actually meant to censor that, uh, to uh, cover that up, to make it that clandestine, to make that above classified above top secret. And this is exactly where the state we are now. The idea of a revolution uh, freeing secrets like a disclosure movement, uh, Tom DeLonge comes to mind with the UAP phenomenon. Uh, disclosure movements have existed in their hundreds uh, since dawn of man, you know, because there's always been someone keeping a secret and there's always been someone investigating those secrets. Uh, what's crazy about this is that it's not an effort anymore to to make this a, a, the priority of uh, liberty and to make this a priority of the people. Um, in the X-Files, it's very popular to know that Mulder is searching for truth because truth is out there to be found and, um, you know, he may be on the inside, but he's definitely the hearts and minds of the people that, you know, make up the nation. Now, he would be uh, considered an enemy of the people because of his affiliation with the, the state, the organization of uh, America and the meme of America, the corporation of America, which is insane because it's 
therapeutically alienating the people so that success, victory, beauty, uh, strength, uh, prestige, you know, success, that is all uh, a betrayal to some kind of authenticity or some kind of, uh, you know, aboriginal uh, identity. And it really becomes now impossible to assail this from the inside out because anyone on the inside will be seen with suspicion and anyone on the outside will never be allowed to access any of these things. They're not vulnerable in their secrecy. There's no, like when they did the Storm Air 51 uh, meme in uh, last year, that people would be able to charge and run the gates and then be immediately given access to secrets and not be, you know, fought tooth and nail at every opportunity to, uh, you know, to get any inch of ground. Uh, that's how absurd the new generation of people is. That's how absurd America has become. That the idea of secrecy, even though it's real and serious, is something that can be sarcastically approached and not seriously, um, you know, not seriously taken. Because if anyone is taking it seriously, then they must be, you know, uh, charlatan, vagabond, uh, ne'er-do-wells because, or idiots or just basically fucking idiots and retards and, you know, anyone who isn't taking it seriously is obviously a shill, is obviously someone who is uh, a paid informant or a disinformation agent, etc., etc. Point is, though, the same thing can be taken to task politically on a larger scale. Uh, you know, when it, the elections are coming up in November, of course, and so everyone's politically charged for the one time in four years. It's like everyone fakes and pretends they give a shit about the Olympics when really they don't care about this. Uh, it's just a thing to talk about every four years. Um, the, I'm a medic, uh, you know, quad annual uh, holiday. The, the, na the nature of holidays are... You know, best embodied by how little people really care about them. Um, but yes, this idea of a color revolution occurring elsewhere, as well as in America at one point in the future, of uh, election results turn out the way they're predicted to, and that the Antifa and BLM movements and uh, basically all your little uh, people, like, you know, grassroots organizations, are going to go. Uh, full charge for the next four year, four years, and you know, do like a Belarus or do like a uh, yellow vest riots or a Hong Kong style protest, or even conduct like an Arab Spring in America, uh, complete with real Arabs. Uh, but that's such an absurd uh, proposition because you know, as an insider in America, as an American citizen, you know that that's not addressing the mimetic identities crisis, the existential that is to live in a superpower uh, torn between rural self-sustenance and uh, urban, um, you know, submission to society, the self versus the individual, regardless of the actual details, the state, the ethnicity, the time, whatever. Um, one is always torn between the self and the other, the self in the great world, the self in the great society. So any revolution based on identity politics is just a lashing out at one's own uh, dissatisfaction with themselves. Thus, it's not a true political movement. These identity politics are not true political movements. They just never will be. Um, 
the idea that we live in a conservative or oppressive or suppressive state is just not true. America's capitalism is based on self-expression, on being creative, on striving for political power, equality, uh, you know, the, the, the rights of the working people, uh, litigation, you know, equal representation in the law for everyone. It's There is nothing to change except for the identity of America, to make America literally just a new flag and to call it something else and to pretend that, uh, you know, we're making progress. The same with these color revolutions all over the world. The same with the Arab Spring. Uh, people, I still remember that my college friends, they just graduated university with a liberal arts degree, uh, being so excited about the Arab Spring and being so optimistic about the changes to come, the democratization of the Middle East, um, the representation of disenfranchised and oppressed people, such as the LGBT community in the Middle East, or the uh, those that you know were atheists or Christians or Jew Hebrews uh, in the Middle East at the time of ex uh, Islamic extremism, and they thought they would harness that energy and ride a wave that would go through Europe like it did in the Ukraine and then it would go into the Americas like it has in South America before and then eventually into North America and you would see the USA um, you know be brought to justice for its misdeeds and then the people who were not had power and were oppressed and were abused would be the abusers and you know it's it, the fatigue of it that they became so self-centered within I believe six years because I joined the Navy in 2010 and that was exactly when the Arab Spring started and then to say that America has completely become a flaming uh, train wreck of a, a place within 10 years is the most absurd uh, amnesia-driven, uh, uh, you know, outrage, proclamation, reactionary bullshit that you could possibly say. That in six years that the country, like, uh, I don't know, did a 360 or 180 or whatever and then became uh, an extremely you know, disunified and enfranchised place. No, it's not. It's the idea of America wanting to participate in these uh, revolutions as a fad, as a popular thing, as something that uh, expresses modernity, as someone, some, like the revolution in your country will be your shining moment as a country, as a people, because you'll be able to express and endorse the positivities of your creative side. Um, the truth is it's all wasted energy. The truth is it's a colossal waste of energy. It's a waste of time. It's a misdirection. It's completely just a rat running around those wheels where, it, you know, it's it's not even for exercise. It's just to pass the time as you are imprisoned in a glass tank of your own emotions. This hive is perfect. This hive has always existed. It was created by uh, the master of all creation, and that's the Matrix. It, there is no color revolution against the Matrix. Uh, there's no color revolution. There's no rising up of the people. There's no uh, claiming the means of production. There's no... Uh, you know, right or wrong answer, it's just one gigantic trap. It's one gigantic snake. Um, and that, that's my take on Color Revolution and how it relates to the SSB. That's my perspective as someone from the SSB. Thank you very much for your viewership. Namaste. Shalom. Iron sharpens iron. And a friend sharpens a friend. Thank you and good night.
Greetings, everybody out there in dreamland. This is Rumors of War 1987. Iron sharpens iron, and a friend sharpens a friend. Namaste and shalom. Thank you all for your viewership and those who are tuning in to watch this installment of my video series. Today, I'm going to be speaking about the art of war and its importance to the secret space program to understand a disclosure movement and to understand uh, the individual struggle against this matrix uh, of illusion that we have been uh, raised in this people farm uh, to control humanity and uh, you know to really embrace reality to really embrace uh, the paradigm of truth uh, by believing humanity by believing in humanity and addressing the phenomenology of uh, the incredible and uh, you know the you know for embracing the truth of nature embracing the real uh, physical uh, 3d reality mastering that and then understanding that ascension is possible but only through the embrace of the physical world and because this physical world is of all importance we cannot shrink away and allow ourselves to be victims or just simply allow ourselves to be genetic uh, you know material food stock or if you will uh, for other sentient intelligent races ultra terrestrials interdimensional beings predators of every uh, shape and size including our own ignorance and those created by our own ignorance uh, the monsters of individual uh, life I understand are omnipresent and uh, near invincible when you see from the outside or see from a, a weaker perspective a, but once you mature you understand that these larger scale things are not oh, uh, people denying uh, problems but addressing them at higher elevated vibrational levels uh, say for example instead of eradicating personal ills in one's life start eradicating personal ills in the world or uh, addressing you know yourself as worthy to lead armies or worthy to lead uh, states to be the commander that uh, you know instinctively you the world needs that you need uh, to be and in doing that instead of choosing to die defeated and alone and ignored by the system uh, devoured by its uh, hungers we have decided to become commanders to uh, give the orders to uh, master every uh, task and uh, um, you know aspect of this uh, phenomenon be known as war uh, this this all pervasive uh, subconscious tie that makes man holy and makes man um, exquisite in its potential and this is there is no greater example of mankind's intelligence and divinity uh, than the art of war as written by Sun Tzu uh, the great, uh, if you would believe the, the history that they've given you, the great Han, uh, Chinese um, scholar that uh, in 13 chapters uh, elaborated in 21 principles what it means to be human uh, in, you know, the human capacity for war, the intelligent uh, beings, godlike abilities for organization, discipline, um, motivation, uh, cunning, strategy, planning, preparedness, and, uh, you know, uh, devastating potential of reality that humans uh, received from the fallen angels directly up from Mount Jared as they fell, as Jesus Christ said, like lightning from heaven. Uh, after the war in heaven, they brought mankind 
personally the art of war of the cosmos of the elohim themselves of the most high this practice could be said to have been converting us uh, as the 4d black matter that the reptilians gave us uh, as a retrovirus in our rna um, regardless of its origin the art of war is not um, a slippery slope into devastation and doom that mankind is leading but it is that the thing that is going to save us it is all salvation from the doom that awaits the unwary the unprepared um, those that are accident prone and you know liable for missteppings those who are not taking the responsibility of a life and death matter that is the nature of war itself the nature of uh, conflict and hostility the problem is is who you consider uh, the enemy and how you consider uh, handling the situation how you approach it the master of the art of war the master of these uh, theses these concepts is not uh, as you would stereotypically think a unthinking aggressive uh, hawk he is a diplomat and a cunning strategian a poet a philosopher a scientist to the highest degree of uh, of uh, you know uh, intellectual acme and uh, academic study and learning uh, one a man of uh, exceeding open-mindedness and uh, creativity flexibility and mental agility as well as uh, one who tr deeply understands humanity and deeply appreciates uh, his roots culturally historically etc a man that desires to know truth and to defend uh, their own uh, dignity and dignity of those that serve them and the safety of those that serve them and the, and the fortunes of those that they uh, represent with their vows the same as our earthly military leaders and this is why the military has uh, basically performed a junta uh, de facto coup d'etat on uh, all of the world's political and civilian and industrial leadership because the uh, stratagems of military educated a military university educated uh, officer classes the elite societies that they have created operate on much higher levels of loyalty and operational readiness as well as uh, spiritual capabilities and uh, you know a mastery of this 3d matrix is, you know we know it um, far more than the average citizen even imagines possible the backbone of this breakaway military elite that rules the world and rules every single military organization on the face of the world as well as off-world you know humanity uh, you know is essence is the military elite the, the governorship the generalship of these uh, war colleges these think tanks like the Rand Corporation etc etc as well as the military historical uh, societies military religious uh, cults the you know military religious occultists such as those in the Stargate program etc etc Solar Warden had can trace its roots back to the earliest of uh, Roman nobility kings uh, military leaders warlords and like from ancient Greece and uh, you know Persia Atlantis Samu these were military societies each heavily invested into the creation and synthesis uh, the stillation of uh, war knowledge 
of battle data, of lessons learned and uh, lessons applied successfully so that they could perfect war and make it efficient because ultimately the knowledge of progress, of linear progress, is that of incre increasing efficiency and increasing um, accuracy of uh, knowledge, of situational awareness. The art of war is that situational awareness. It is uh, a piercing of the veil from ignorance into the enlightenment of knowledge of the human mechanism, the organic uh, equalizer that is our war fighting efforts and our war genius, our military genius. It's not simply focusing on individual super soldiers or uh, individual accounts of certain incidences or operation platforms like all bases, but taking in the, the distraught uh, picture, the, the full spectrum picture of the human being as an terrestrial and extraterrestrial war fighting species, and the art of war is essentially important for everyone. It's a prerequisite to even understand what the secret space program is about, to understand what the breakaway civilization is about, to understand the military elites and how they are, uh, operate and power of the entire world, the cabal of, uh, of generals and industrialists, and of the secret history of the world that's covered up, and not to be this individual hardcore uh, poser, but to understand the true nature of life and death and how life and death situations have shaped and uh, controlled the destiny of mankind. And those situations have always turned to the, to the, you know, I guess you call it the, the favored, uh, the fortunate, you know, fortunate uh, few that have mastered the art of war. And this is an absolute must. This is an absolute, uh, reality given to us by God that the art of war is the Akashic records uh, formulated from the heavens and from cosmic interstellar powers and knowledges far greater than our own. Okay, so then I'm going to present the first chapter of Sun Tzu's Art of War and I hope everyone enjoys uh, I'll be frameworking it with my, uh, my exit speech but hope everyone enjoys this uh, presentation of Sun Tzu's Art of War Chapter 1 and I'll be following it with the each essential chapter in each essential video. The key concepts in covered in this chapter Thank are you all very much. There are five desire. factors that determine the outcome of a battle. Always look to advance your position. And all warfare is based on deception. Let's now explore each of these concepts in more detail. Key concept one. There are five factors that determine the outcome of a battle. Understanding the five factors is the first step to truly understanding the art of war. The five factors are the commander, heaven, earth, the moral law, method, and discipline. An important way to look at these points is to break them into three groups. First, the commander is you or the leader of your team. Second, heaven and earth make up the external factors. They are equal to both sides of the conflict. Each side can plan and accommodate for them, but they cannot be changed. Third, the moral law and method of discipline are the two internal factors. Unlike the external factors, each side can control what they mean and how they will be executed. So, let's look at each factor. First, the commander. 
The commander stands for leadership. In most cases, the commanders are you and your opponent. Sun Tzu said the commander should have the following traits. Wisdom, sincerity, benevolence, courage, and strictness. These characteristics can be found in great leaders from history. While not every great leader fought battles, they all had the qualities of a good commander. When looking at these qualities, you must foster them in yourself, but also find where your opponent is deficient. Second, external factors. Heaven and earth. These two factors are the reason that you must always observe and question the world around you. While the two factors are similar and work together, there is a big difference. Think of heaven as the variables and earth as the constants. Heaven could be fashion trends, the weather outside, or the current state of the economy. Whenever things are changing, you must be willing to change with them. Always look for patterns. Earth could be geography, roads, or laws. Make sure your plans work within the constraints you face. These two factors, together, form the full picture of your current situation. Third, internal factors. The moral law and method of discipline are within your control. The moral law is what makes you and your allies believe what you're doing is right. For Sun Tzu, it was the entire army believing that their cause was worth fighting for. For the individual, it's asking yourself for a gut check. Before entering conflict, you should ask yourself, do you believe that you're right? Do you have a purpose? Do people agree with you? Method and discipline is the last of the five factors. It's probably the most universal factor. Another title for it might be organization. For Sun Tzu, it meant who could supply troops the best and control expenses. For you, it may mean work ethic and time management. Sun Tzu commands that all five factors should be examined before going to war. This means do your homework. If you know these five factors and the strength of each side with regards to each, you can know who will win. Also, these five factors come up later in the book at different times, so remember them. Key concept two, always look to advance your position. When entering a conflict, ask the question, who has the advantage? With you and your opponent trying to outmaneuver each other, the answer may change constantly. This point may seem redundant, but it is actually the central theme of the entire Art of War text. It is in Chapter 1 that the concept is first explained. To determine who has the advantage, Sun Tzu lists seven considerations that you must use as a comparison of you and your opponent. These considerations mirror the five factors very closely. They are, which of the two sovereigns is imbued with the moral law? Which of the two generals has the most ability? With whom lie the advantages derived from heaven and earth? On which side is discipline more rigorously enforced? Which army is stronger? On which side are the officers and men more highly trained? And in which army is there a greater constancy of both reward and punishment? To 
illustrate the idea of advantage. Pretend that you have given yourself a score on the five factors. In this hypothetical exercise, you rate yourself from 1 to 10 on each factor. In this example, you give yourself a score of 38. This score is important, but it is only half of your position. In order to fully understand who has the advantage, you must also assess your opponent's score. If their score is higher than yours, you are in a poor position and you will lose. If their score is lower than yours, you are in a strong position and you will win. Sun Tzu says, do not enter the conflict until you are in a position to win. Always evaluate yourself and your opponent based on the seven considerations. These will act as a decision-making tool when it comes time to entering conflict. You must constantly use the knowledge from all 13 chapters of the Art of War to constantly advance your position relative to your opponent. Key Concept 3. All warfare is based on deception. This point makes a lot of sense considering that knowing yourself and fooling your opponent is required to win. You must constantly monitor your opponent to uncover their relative strength to the five factors. At the same time, you must also hide your position from your opponent. For Sun Tzu, this meant appearing far away when he was near, or appearing weak when he was strong. For you, it may mean appearing lazy when you're motivated, or uninformed when you are an expert. A common military application for this principle would be camouflage. In the civilian world, deception is just as important. Every day in the world of business, companies work hard to do the following. Hide weaknesses, misdirect competitors, and manage expectations. This section of the Art of War text also provides a practical piece of advice. Attack where you are not expected. This is one of the many ways that deception can lead to advantages. In conclusion, the key concepts from Chapter 1 are There are five factors that determine the outcome of a battle. Always look to advance your position. And all warfare is based on deception. That concludes Chapter 1. Amen, amen to that. Shalom, namaste, thank you God, all creator in heaven, all creator of the universe, for this knowledge, for this divinity that you have bestowed upon us. Your means are great. Your ways are even greater. It is going to be my great honor bringing you the art of war, delivering to you the fire from heaven, like Prometheus gave the fire from heaven to his people. Iron sharpens iron, and a friend sharpens a friend. This has been Rumors of War 1987 with the art of war and the Secret Space Program. Thank you all very much for your viewership. Please give a like and subscribe. If you haven't already, share this with anyone you might think might benefit from it. Post it up on forums, whatever, message board, Reddit, whatever. Uh, thank you all very much. 
um, for your support. Leave a comment below. All are welcome here. No hate speech. I have assumed command. I have assumed command. The rider on a white horse.
everybody out there in Dreamland. This is Rumors of War 1987. Thank you all of you for your ship. Iron sharpens iron and a friend sharpens a friend. Namaste and shalom. Please like and subscribe. All that. Click all the buttons, etc., etc. Definitely need your support uh, to grow and to deliver this message to more and more people so they may profit from this information. Today I'm hoping to speak about a matter of great cultural importance that hopefully uh, you are intelligent enough to understand uh, the sheer scope and scale of the matters I'm going to discuss. And I'm going to be speaking about the uh, Masonic connection uh, between uh, the United States Navy, the Secret Space Program, and the government of the world, uh, the true um, you know, organized authority of the world as it stands to be the Pentagon in its, uh, you know, complete wholeness, but specifically led by the United States Navy in its history with the secret space program, the contact with alien uh, civilization in the form of the Astro High Command and its uh, participation, Solar Warden, etc., etc. So basically this is going to be about the United States uh, Navy and the secret space program two crucially, crucially important elements uh, that I'm going to try to expose are the uh, falsified and covert uh, histories of the world that we are under, that we are told, that we are told to accept as well as the absolute unity of the world as controlled by the entity known as the United States Navy or as the Masonic uh, Freemason uh, the Freemasonic uh, organization the fraternity of Freemasons um, and the ancient mystery that they practice in their uh, designs because basically the entire world is controlled by the orchestrations of the Freemasons and has been for centuries including the formation of the breakaway civilization the great reset of society and the absolute uh, puppeting of the population of the world uh, to understand one thing and that is a erroneous uh, absolutely filtered and censored uh, world view or a perception of reality that is inaccurate and uh, absent of the truth of the inheritance of our species uh, from the last epoch of existence with that between the Atlanteans and the Mu uh, civilization basically as far, if you want to believe the traditional histories of it, um, there, we know there is the standard consenting, as uh, we call it, traditional view of world history. But then there is the understanding of shadow forces, of elite dynasties, which have operated covertly uh, throughout both the major churches of the world as well as the great dynasties and empires of, uh, you know, various uh, nations and peoples. Uh, basically, though, their symbolism is unified, and that is now now collectively as the organization known as the Freemasons. This organization is crucial to the formation and creation, as well as the preservation of the United States Navy, as well as the United States Navy being the absolute uh, most important element in the modern world uh, for the connection of the breakaway civilization, the creation of the breakaway civilization, the creation of Solar Warden, and the creation of our alliance with the Ashtar High Command. 
it is the British Navy, for example, that has uh, educated and, and disciplined the kings of its very empire. The monarchy, the British monarchy, is an head of the Atlantis Rising United Nations of uh, the Earth and the representation on a cosmic scale within the Astra High Command, as well as, uh, you know, as a unified entity known as the human race, you know, on a unified dominion known as Earth. The United States Navy is equally as important. Their bases are constructed under Masonic uh, instruction. They, they fit an architecture that is both uh, occult in purpose and design, as well as traditional and adherence to their ancient Babylonian uh, sources, which are Enochian. So I guess uh, appropriately it would be the great Enochian tradition of the construction. Um, this is literally the oldest uh, tradition known uh, to have been taught by Adam directly through the Noah uh, genealogy, uh, directly through his genealogy through to Noah. So this is antediluvian, which we now know as uh, efforts. We have confused with our own traditional take on our lore, our own legend of our own history. But even in our legend, Masonic uh, contracts, Masonic affiliations, bloodlines, families, elites, dynasties, organizations, corporations, uh, mercantile cartels, etc., etc., which are only unified through their adherence to ancient Solomonic, um, you know, King Solomon-based uh, teachings, uh, which are from the old uh, pre-flood world. Um, the Hebrew teachings found in the Masonic uh, uh, creeds in, the, in their, their libraries. Um, these organizations are the backbone not only for the United States, but for the United States Navy. And its leadership, as well as its monuments, as well as its inheritance culturally, its importance, as well as its business status, its, its uh, mercantile industrial elite status, as well as its spiritual artistic uh, license, uh, its very sovereign, uh, you know, culture that has, uh, you know, ceaselessly sought to expand and conquer the worlds and its peoples uh, through their domination of what it presents, what it, what it creates, and that is a modern society that is progress, that is uh, liberty. Revolutions, for example, were wildfire in the 1800s during the Age of Enlightenment uh, because the Age of Enlightenment was uh, the historical framework for the uh, resurrection of these ancient Hebrew standards of governance, of organization, of uh, the basically the creation of the covert and the overt, the uh, leading in plain sight, but having and the complete, uh, the strings and the, uh, being pulled from the darkness, the strings being pulled from the shadows, uh, through to designs from master architects, think tanks, uh, you know, influencers, basically, um, you know, members of the historical and uh, current as well as future generations are all uh, unified in belief. So there's an amazing uh, coherence to these organizations and they're kind of immune to chaos and infighting and civil war. Thus, through time, 
they are proven correct again and again through their assertions of their own uh, teachings and own dominance over the world as others are destroyed not only through their own actions but through their uh, through their own um, insecurities and through their own uh, vulnerabilities being exploited uh, typically during these great uh, moments of achievement by these Freemasonic organizations such as uh, victories and war victories or creations of technology advancements in technology advancements in art or the state of art in communities in fact more has been forgotten more has been lost than uh, has been remembered from these Masonic organizations these Masonic uh, fraternities uh, and their symbolism and their ideology as well as their uh, literature their you know uh, academic uh, foundations their true beliefs their uh, apocryphal texts etc etc um in fact the, for the few people and there are many many people that we know that are influential in history to a great degree um that are Freemasons, there must be indefinitely a multitude more uh, by, you know, a great factor because they entirely operate within secrecy, within uh, discretion to their membership and do not uh, require divulgence of uh, truth and identity because they are true to themselves. They have this adherence to their own authority. And this is because, this is why I want to make this connection and this expression very clear is that because even though you might think that their loyalties were to the United States before the Freemasonic origins, it's actually the inverse. Their authority is derived from their allegiance, their membership in the fraternity of the Freemasons and then their organization of the United States, which was created by the Freemasons. So this is the way they're operating both in plain sight and covertly because they can say that they are servants and uh, patriots of the United States and also at the same time be meaning that they are uh, servants and patriots to their uh, Freemasonic uh, lodges, to their, their, uh, their uh, sacred rites and, uh, you know, and their uh, worship of masters. In fact, every single... Uh, military uh, branch in the Pentagon is uh, connected, tied deeply and intimately by their association with uh, the Freemasonic uh, membership and lodges that they all belong to, uh, including those of the industrial elite, the technologists, and the uh, military industrial complex. Um, the skunk works type corporations, uh, research laboratories, scientists, um, metallurgists, you know, academics, um, everyone from astrologists to people in medical sciences uh, uh, that advance the technology uh, and research gathered by these uh, alliances with extraterrestrials, with the Astra High Command, with these off-world colonies and, um, you know, Corporations that, that harvest uh, um, uh, cosmic materials as well as the uh, intelligent species that offer us technologies as well as, uh, um, you know, what knowledge will we encounter. Um, 
this is filtered through the United States Navy. These think tanks operate with the Navy's, um, within their budget, within their framework, within their interest, within their agenda, first and foremost, as a priority. What you see is that a lot of what the United States uh, Secret Space Program uh, creates and uh, requires is actually fronted by the United States Navy and their request for technology, their request for development and research of uh, technological inventions, innovations, and uh, products. Um, they make no secret that they are pushing the limits of known uh, science, known possibilities, due to their efforts of pushing the dominance of United States hegemony, uh, Pax Americana, the peace of America. And that peace is completely held by the United States supremacy in all three theaters, uh, basically the sea, the air, and space. Even though Space Command may exist, um, the Air Force may exist, the United States Air Navy is still uh, proudly the dominant air superiority organization of the American military uh, industrial wing of, the, of that theater of operation, that industry. Because uh, it is an industry. It is absolutely uh, treated as an industry. Uh, ran exactly uh, with the model of uh, uh, Sigma-6. Um, so it's absolutely treated as a matter of logistics and uh, with politics put aside later, completely mercenary uh, to the very core because, like I said, these, these are not real conflicts. These are not real uh, disputes. These are absolutely just uh, maneuvers and uh, war games being played out to various intensities. Uh, but yes, the U.S. Space Command is not a new thing. That is not a thing that the United States Navy operates uh, without capabilities that already uh, that surpass it. This is something that is just a matter of public relations and presentations and budgets uh, to satisfy Congress people and nosy civilian level uh, bureaucrats. But re the reality is that. Um, if you read The Art of War, that the idea of the dominant nation, the sovereign, uh, you know, being in charge of so many human lives, that is exactly why this is a breakaway civilization currently. The United States top brass, the military elite, are not new upcoming uh, managers in a corporation. They are the inheritors of the most established traditional world militaries going back to ancient Egypt. Those flags are not new flags. Those are flags and heraldries held by ancient Egyptian navies that served the pharaohs, that served Atlanteans, that served in the Mu conflict, the hyperwar. In fact, played out symbolically that war again in the uh, Pacific theater with the United States Navy and the Imperial Japanese uh, quite intentionally through the maneuvers and initiation rites as cooperated upon by the Japanese Tokyo-based Freemasons and the United States uh, California-based, LA-based Freemasons 
to create the, the 20th century, to create the drama and the tension, as well as the world-established picture as predicted by Alfred Pike, who was a dominant uh, Freemasonic thinker from the United States, in agreement with the Japanese industrial leaders who were becoming Freemasons themselves, as an open rebellion to usurp and overthrow the Japanese god-emperor Hirohito. The connection between these two uh, left and right, you know, heads of the same eagle, the naval eagle of the Japanese Imperial Navy and the United States Navy, stretched across the Pacific uh, due to the United States uh, colonization of the Philippines and, uh, you know, its occupation of China during the Boxer Rebellion, as well as its allegiance and alliance with the Japanese during their war with Russia and the uh, early 19th century and this culminated in the complete theater that was the over-the-horizon naval engagements that the Japanese and the United States engaged in including Pearl Harbor uh, FDR being a high-level Freemason was completely um, you know aware of this and uh, served out his role to create inside the public mindset the absolute fear of invasion and attack by uh, Japanese threats, thus developing the, thus, you know, justifying the development of the atomic bomb and thus justifying the attack of, uh, you know, uh, both mainland Japan and uh, Europe openly uh, engaging in the conflict of World War II instead of being behind the scenes suppliers of weapons, but thus acquiring the technology discovered by the Third Reich as well as the um, as well as the uh, rumor technology in the Indo-Pacific theater you know, that would eventually evolve into the Vietnam conflict um, basically though these these machinations extend very deeply into uh, the frap, the fabric of what we know as reality, the fabric that we know as history, and the uh, lives, uh, the impacts of these machinations uh, have affected the lives of hundreds of millions, if not billions and billions of people. In fact, nearly every single person on the globe um, has had their lives indirectly shaped and formed by the machinations of this breakaway civilization as it stands. When you include the secret space program, when you include the breakaway civilization and the extraordinary technology, the extraordinary methods that they have at uh, producing technology, the technologies and technological abilities that they have, the, uh, the, the service personnel, the traditions, the experiences, the records that will go completely in secret, that will go completely unknown uh, forever, you know, barring an act of God, barring the great disclosure and the great awakening, um, are incredible. And it's really um, shocking, but it's absolutely understandable uh, from anyone's personal experience within the absolute massive uh, machine of, of material and men that the United States military industrial complex, especially United States Navy, really is. Um, it, it comes down to the to the individual sailor. It comes down to the individual airman. It comes down to the individual, um, you know, submarine man that 
their responsibility is to, uh, you know, be a strong link in the great chain of tradition. But the scope and scale of the organization is breathtaking. It's absolutely difficult, almost impossible to completely take in from someone from the outside coming in, being initiated into it. But the same people who hand out um, paperwork at the recruitment statement belong to an organization that creates the finest of covert spec war uh, operators and pushes the limits when it comes to uh, redefining uh, coup uh, doctrines and destabilizations of, of entire economies as well as extends the abilities of uh, man by uh, developing and, and acquiring technologies, you know, such as, for example, like the, uh, <coughs> excuse me, the, uh, the virtual simulators that they created to help uh, train pilots being instrumental into the creation of, for example, a uh, home-based video game uh uh, platforms such as PlayStation, uh, specifically PlayStation, but you know later on Xbox, and that the the software of those games were the same that w would run, um, you know, ballistic guided missiles um, designed by the Navy for, uh, you know, sea launches. Uh, that is that is incredible connectivity between these technologies because I think the world really forgets how 1984 Aurelian. Uh, totalitarian it really is it's been gifted the illusion of freedom gifted the illusion of choice because it's allowed to undergo its own spiritual shamanic journey, uh, journeys uh, throughout life it's allowed to take the hero's journey but it's not really allowed to see the true impact the true scale the true results and effect of such a dominating military doctrine such a uh, imperialistic military doctrine it's definitely a type of situation where even though the reality may be very good the ultimate uh, context of that reality is extremely horrifying and brutal for the rest of the world but this is a strange and hostile world this is a world that really will show you uh, will surprise you will, will show you the truth nature of both uh, God and man and so the Freemasons I believe having basically reached that, that throne having uh, achieved that level of uh, global connectivity and power even to the point that they represent us as a human race off world are doing so in attempts to preserve a legacy a legacy of civility because this world is extremely uh you know, nihilistic and cynical and brutal and, and, and fatal to those that really don't understand the true uh, nature, the truth of nature, the true, the true natural will uh, shared by uh, man and beast, you know, to organize this chaos, to actually uh, stand on the wall of society. And basically that wall has extended from a national idea of a border or a tribal land to uh, that of a planet's orbit, to that of our world's very orbit. We've kind of reached that, uh, Jacob pointed that ladder, climbing, you know, in their terminology, the ladder 
to assert our responsibility uh, by exercising this virtue. And I understand that the virtue is, is, is held at the cost of human life, is held at the expense and sacrifice of thousands and thousands uh, yearly. But really, as the moment of great disclosure occurs, we are going to focus from the shift of human-on-human -human combat to the human-on-natural uh, threat combat of these awakening titans, these awakening kaiju, these awakening are these, uh, you know, ensuring astral threats, as well as expressing the greater impact of this, uh, what you would call it, traditional thinking when it comes to combating the truth of human nature, the uh, inherited traditions of uh, criminal misbehavior, of callousness, of remorselessness. Because even in one generation, uh, cults can spring up that are absolutely taboo and revolting, as well as dangerous and toxic and cancerous to society. And this is exactly what you're going to see uh, in this century, is individualized fringe groups developing seemingly within decades of each other that are extremely hostile and extremely uh, misanthropic and uh, will be defined as terrorist groups, will be defined as domestic terrorist groups, and they will be made of common people who will uh, basically turn this into a playground for monsters, or will turn this place into a... a uh, a very tiresome uh, but harsh and hostile winter uh, rather than the summer that we were living in. But this has been the perfect climate for, this will be the perfect climate for the industrial, military industrial elite, for the military itself, for the United States Navy itself to usurp control uh, because it's been planning this, seeing the horizon from a very, very long road. And that is... Um, because humanity has been distracted with its own comforts and it has kind of embraced this incredible difficulty. It is going to use this as a moment to uh, issue disclosure. It is going to use this as a moment to monopolize on the absolute miraculous technology it's acquired as well as the strength of organization and staff as well as the strength of knowledge itself um, to reassert absolute authority and control, reassert absolute uh, Pax Americana on a ever chaotic and dystopic world, an ever more you know, apocalyptic world, but it will do so uh, with these covert uh, spec war uh, evolved methods that you saw, you know, you see Navy SEALs uh, conquering entire nations, you see uh, governments being usurped, you see heads rolling because that is going to be uh, the hero that the world deserves because they are going to use these things which are going to be that now can be, are considered evil in ways that will be soon be considered good and that'll be influential for the universe for the world's population to confuse good with evil and evil for good as the beast arises from the sea and people speak to each other saying who can make war with the beast 
This has been Rumors of War 1987. Thank you all very much for your viewership. Iron sharpens iron, and a friend sharpens a friend. Thank you all very much. Uh, if you've gotten this far, uh, please like and subscribe. Um, definitely hit uh, the bell for future notifications, semi-daily updates. I do about four or five videos a week, um, sometimes more. Uh, definitely uh, comment below. Everyone is welcome to. I do moderate the comments, but everyone is encouraged to reply as long as they keep it uh, civil and polite. No hate speech is allowed. Uh, definitely share this with anyone who might profit from it, any of your friends or any of the uh, chans, for example. And definitely, definitely, um, you know, uh, make sure to watch my other videos, my past videos, or my playlists. I uh, definitely encourage a, uh, you know, a, a quick glance through all of them. Maybe something that you want to watch has already been uh, done. I've done over a hundred of these videos in a very short time. So uh, it's been my pleasure and my privilege to uh, bring you this information. Definitely check out my Know the Enemy series. Definitely check out my um, and the Secret Space program series which this video is a part of and definitely check out my um, earlier vids too to see my um, you know Incoming. prepare Incoming. yourself for rumors of war 1987 Hello, everybody out there in Dreamland. This is Rumors of War 1987. Uh, glad that you're on board tonight for a uh, in-depth look at the British Secret Space Program and the high-technology, the high-tech aircrafts that uh, the British Empire has been keeping secret and their, I guess you would call it, uh, leading-edge um, space program and how it's leaked out to the mainstream. Uh, basically, while America was creating, uh, please give a like and subscribe before I get you know, started and all that. This is going to be my first day, so give a like and subscribe. Share with your friends. Uh, let's try to promote this uh, information and, uh, you know, reach as many eyes that can see and ears that can hear as possible. Let's evangelize the uh, good news and, uh, and, you know, fight the good fight, guys. I guess so. As America was developing the SR-71 Blackbird and its Cold War uh, espionage capabilities by pushing the envelope of, you know, man and machine, the British were already doing the same thing, but doing so much more successfully with the uh, ideation of space colonization and, um, and, uh, Connecting the world like never before with the airways and um, and uh, you know uh, commercial use of these of these space uh, uh, vehicles these uh, you know high altitude low orbit space vehicles space planes okay, and um, they're currently doing that now this year uh, you know in the modern time 2019 they really started the initiative of creating one stage. Uh, space planes, planes that can take off on land, on runways, and then reach extremely high altitudes, uh, low orbit altitudes, and complete flights, say, for example, between Britain and Australia in four hours, you know, far surpassing those uh, speeds capable of the Concorde, and, you know, really, really uh, 
setting the stage for the commercialization of space. This is basically the disclosure of space capabilities. And they're using the American Skunk Works program to test and proof this equipment, this technology, this uh, this gear. But I think they've been doing that since the 50s. I think they've been doing that since the 60s. I think this has been, you know, this is old news. This is the uh, old world order, you know, acting like it's just now discovering it because it uh, limits the... Uh, the, the shock in, in understanding the injustice of how they've managed the world with this technology at their helm. The plane they're working on is called the Skylon. It is a hypersonic airplane, a space plane combo. It's basically a rocket that has passengers inside of it. They're huge. They're they're extremely awesome. You know, on uh, the purest tech gear. Uh, you know, uh, bird nerd uh, sense. And uh, they use uh, linear aerospike engines, which is a technology that I think is influential to creating the space programs of the, you know, American and um, and the International New World Order. And I think the, the technology of the International New World Order was pioneered not by the Germans, but by the British. I believe the British have had spacefaring capabilities since the 50s. I believe that they've had space colonizing uh, prowess since the 60s, being able to complete international space station type um, floating, uh, you know, laboratories and uh, living uh, modules, and also flying in, in high altitude uh, cities modeled after blimps and modeled after uh, submarines. Now, uh, just to break down the tail of the tape, this is what they're officially coming out with. This is going to be a reality in 2025, and the 2030s is going to be a, a decade dominated by hypersonic civilian aircraft. The space plane can go Mach 25 at, at its fastest. Um, the hypersonic transport, which is basically the booster um, uh, uh, platform that the, the, the the aircraft uses to get up to these hypersonic speeds because Mach 5.4. Uh, the Concorde can only go 2.5. So already it's doubling the Concorde's abilities um, as, a, as a civilian airliner just to get itself to the staging point for its hypersonic engines. Um, here, you know, is the is the advertisement for the UK to the Australian continent in four hours, which is, you know, mind-numbingly fast. It is a uh, speed which uh, no other nation has ever really dared to travel, unless you consider these these black projects of like the you know uh, Black Hawk and, or, and uh, I mean the Blackbird and uh, the U two spy plane things like that. But they created a, a project called Mustard, the multi-unit space transport and recovery device in 64 and 65. And this thing was an absolute unit. It was a um, flying wing type uh, lifting body uh, uh, shuttle. And uh, we'll get to the details of it later. But it was created by the same company that created a uh, helicopter-type civilian aircraft that operated in the same exact functional role as the Osprey, being able to perform vertical landing and takeoff, as well as uh, conventional airplane speeds. And it would have made uh, urban travel between nations, you know, interior uh, travel between major cities in the UK and America and Europe, extremely versatile, extremely affordable, and extremely efficient. Here are the designs for the mustard. And no, this is not a, you know, sci-fi theorist uh, 
fan art. This is the actual BAE, British Aviation Systems. Uh, no, I believe it was the BAC, the British Airplane Company. Uh, their their project and their plans for it. And this was in the 60s, the mid-60s. Uh, as you can tell, it was VTOL. It was vertical takeoff and landing. And uh, it was a hypersonic platform meant to carry traditional uh, strategic bombers on its back to in uh, very high altitudes, very high speeds, without diminishing the fuel uh supply of these aircraft and then it would release them and you know they would use the trajectory and the uh, the piggybacking of it to save fuel and to maximize distance and thus you know it'd be like uh the plane itself was a was a missile being launched off being able to launch other missiles or tactical bombs uh here is the actual mustard device it would be three flying wings uh basically released together and they would combine their thrusts and lift capabilities to accelerate into orbit and then break apart and uh, then complete separate missions thus uh, maximizing the crew maximizing the mission ver uh, variability and versatility and also be able to uh, for example get to the moon it was it was proposed that these things would be able to you know reach the lunar surface without the Saturn V type of enormous uh, rocket booster the these disposable rocket boosters that would crash and sink into the sea. You know, it didn't have to be an Empire State Building full of uh, rocket fuel. It was three um, versatile, capable uh, space planes that would be single-stage use, and then they could be able to descend and land on runways like conventional aircraft. In the 60s, this was the concept that the British were working on in the 60s. They were not this favorable of it. They just decided officially to kind of close their whole space program. And I'll read you the Wikipedia article and try to summarize it. Uh, but basically, they came up with all these amazing projects. And uh, ostensibly, they just kind of canceled them all. They just kind of were like, no, you know what? We're not going to do any of this. Uh, we don't believe this is profitable. For example, they were going to um, create a uh, commercial uh, com uh, satellite communications array and link across the world and uh corner the market on um, you know GPS and, and cell phones and what the technology that we use that for day and they, they said oh well we just don't see it as a viable money making uh, project so they cancelled it and if you believe that I got a bridge to sell you and it's, it's a good bridge it's not it's barely used it's you know only driven on on Sundays and you can write your checks to me directly or I support my Patreon for that bridge you know first come first serve uh, bridges for sale if you guys are buying that you'll buy anything for a dollar that a major world power during uh, times of extreme technological advancement would uh, re resort to penny pinching and resort to um foolishly judging space as a non-profitable um, frontier to expand and um, you know corner in any kind of uh, in any kind of way really like industrialize in any kind of way that's absolutely foolish I mean not foolish because the British did this but foolish that anyone believes it um, for example it's foolish that anyone believes that the Phoenix lights were flares when 
all current news at the time, all um, contemporary uh, witnesses and thoughts when they were first released was that it was a solid craft and it was not seen completely in the dark. It was seen during dusk at first and thus it was given a lot clearer uh, fidelity and definition of what this craft really was. <laughs> and then to say that these crafts are just observation planes, the spy planes, as if though you had the ability to create these flying triangles but still need to spy on Iran and the Russians. I mean, get real. Really, get real. Um, this is the Aerospike engine. It's an engine that it reduces the fuel necessary for um, reaching hypersonic speeds by 20 to 30%. Also created in the 60s. Originally thought about in the 50s. But then later worked on the 60s and 70s and 80s. Uh, it was a favorite uh, for NASA during the 70s and 80s because they thought that they would build a shuttle that was going to be a stage, a single-use stage um, space plane. And no doubt they did create this space plane, but they cut it for cost. You'll hear the same excuses over and over again that these space, space programs don't have uh, the funding, you know, to complete these projects to, to use, but they have enough funding to create them, to uh, develop the concepts for them, to publicize them, and then to, um, you know, uh, advertise them within the engineering communities that will work on these projects. You know, they will have the ability to create these uh, proof of concepts, but yet they won't have the ability to create them as working models. They won't have the ability to train crews to operate them. They won't have the ability to uh, run several missions, you know, of varying uh, importance. As you can tell, the, uh, the scale of these space planes were smaller than the rocket and the smaller than the space shuttle that we eventually ended up using. It was not a, m a matter of materials being unavailable. It was not a matter of engineering being incapable of, uh, you know, finishing these proofs of concepts and making them a reality. All it was was as you said, a skunk works device. Why let your best stuff be out in the open? Uh, why, why let the cat out of the bag? The rural rebel skunk work out of the bag. Um, no doubt these things were created. No doubt these things flew. Uh, Reagan uh, loved these uh, this concept personally, and he saw it as a great way to um, complement, for example, the 1950s design of the aerodyne or the dinosaur. Sorry, the dinosaur, which was basically the same concept of a lifting body but with a giant rocket booster on the back for the uh, necessary fuel in the 50s the aerospike would eliminate the unyieldly um, giant rocket booster and the dinosaur itself would be uh, you know basically remodeled with our ceramic panels and you know uh, experience coming in and out of orbit and yes it could deliver satellites for reconnaissance it could deliver weaponry it could deliver space-based ordnance icbms uh rods of god things like that lasers uh could capture satellites it could retrieve them the mustard for example is the, the rd of the word mustard stands for retrieval device so it was meant to retrieve objects <coughs> like enemy satellites like enemy spaceships much like the movie uh, moonraker uh you know, vertical landing rockets existed before SpaceX. They were a part of this concept, this, this proof of concept in which these cre these crafts were capable of VTOL. Because why always rely on uh, massive runways for their deceleration and their landing when you could have them vertically take off and land? I mean, I think that itself is an incredible 
uh, feat of engineering. And they were able to do this in the 70s and in the 80s, definitely, where these images were taken at White Sands. Um, but for some reason, NASA never really uh, officially endorsed it, never officially got these projects off the ground. Yet now in 2020, they're allowing SpaceX to uh, preposterously claim that they are the forerunners of this technology. Uh, here is the USAX-30 space plane that Reagan wanted to make. He just started designing it in the 80s, late 80s, and then the project was mysteriously canceled in 93 uh, due to peacetime. Like, oh, we don't have a reason for it anymore. And uh, if you believe that, I got a bridge to sell you. I really do. It's a great bridge. Um, that America would not take advantage of these working concepts because just we didn't have a viable enemy. Um, and uh, yes, it was a lifting body capable of aerospace with aerospace engines capable of transfer transitioning from orb uh, atmospheric to orbital uh, travel. No doubt, we are using these things uh, to reach the moon uh, on a regular and efficient. And a very cost-effective basis. Cost is really a, a, a it's a non-factor. It's not a factor when you can just print your own money and you create digital currency. I mean, you are the. It's just a fiat, right? It's just a number that you can just type into someone's bank account and officially uh, endorse. If you're if you're the military, if you're the Fed, you know, this say it's taxpayer dollars. And I can tell you, I can show you, they range in scale from uh, just larger than a regular bomber to, you know, even smaller than the regular space shuttle itself. And they have the ability to carry uh, passengers, crew, equipment. Um, the British have a very long history with the secret uh, space program and the secret projects. They were designing uh, the world's best jet fighters, the world's fastest jet fighters, the world's first stealth bombers, the world's uh, you know first uh, hypersonic missiles, hypersonic planes. And this guy's uh, work, Tony Butler's work in these picture books, is very eye-opening. It's very eye-opening to show you the, the amount of technology that they had as early as they did. This is 1949. They were creating jet bombers. I mean, uh, jet bombers that are rival, that would rival uh, what the Soviets were doing in the 70s and 80s. Uh, what America was doing in the 60s and the 70s with creating the, uh, the first stealth bombers, the first flying wings. There's no doubt in my mind that the British were able to successfully uh, create a, a space-faring force, a space a space force, a, an air force capable of space travel. And there, was, there was no doubt that they were creating hypersonic crafts capable of VTOL landings, capable of uh, lunar travel, lunar landing, uh, capable of um, of developing space stations. Uh, for both research and for both, uh, you know, uh, habitability. And the sky's the limit, really, when you think about it. We're just going to stick to the secret space program right now. We're not going to go into undersea um, colonization, which they were easily capable of, too. Remember, the first space, uh, the first lunar colony was proposed to be completed in the 50s, and the, the plans were already drawn up. The plans for uh, Mars colonization were in the 80s. Uh, and there was even a very interesting uh, kind of soft disclosure that this, that this program called Alternate 3 uh, gave out 
and it was about the secret space program in which, in the 1977, Anglia TV in the UK broadcast an edition of its popular science report, Strand, that uncovered a story so colossal it would change the world. This is from theunredacted.com. Um, it published in February of 2018, by the way. So this is very recent, um, recent meditations on this, this thing from 1977. The episode was titled Alternate 3 and began with an investigation into a string of mysterious disappearances amongst top scientists. What followed was sensational. The scientist that showed discovered had been recruited into a top secret clandestine space program designed to build a base on Mars in anticipation for a forthcoming ecological catastrophe on Earth. Anglia TV was immediately bombarded with calls which alar- with alarmed viewers. The alarm was unwarranted they were told because like Orson Welles' War of the Worlds in 1938 alternate theory was in fact a hoax. Produced in a documentary style and originally intended for a broadcast on April 1st, yuck, yuck, the pro- program was a skillful uh, fiction written by award-winning screenwriter David Ambrose. Although relatively obscure, Alternative 3 has an enduring impact. And yada, 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 uh, The fictional Alternative 3 culminates with a reported decoding of videotape which reveals footage of a joint U.S. and Soviet Union mission to Mars in 1962. Could there be any truth to such an amazing notion? And as you can tell, international uh, relations when it comes to uh, space development is the name of the game, uh, you know, officially. But there's also these things called the Marconi murders. Uh, It's a conspiracy theory that is very tied into the, you know, United States Star Wars program in which 28, I believe almost 30 top scientists for Marconi GEC Marconi, which is later bought out by BAE, uh, their top weapons program, and had ties to the U.S. Navy and had ties to the U.S. Strategic Defense Department, uh, were killed in very obvious ways, and the murders were called suicides. You know, how does how do twenty top scientists working for one company all commit suicide within a relatively short time frame? Maybe about a time frame of about a year, maybe two years. But anyone who seemed to work on these programs that didn't really want to play ball was considered expendable. And this was the late 80s, so this was the time of uh, peak violence to keep, uh, you know, industrial secrets, to keep profitabilities high, to keep, uh, you know, loyalty strong. And murder was, uh, you know, the house special when it came to both the Soviet Union and the United States intelligence departments. Um just think about how much work goes into making this shit uh, work. The ISS, this this rinky-dink uh, space station. But think about the capabilities of these countries. Does it make any sense that all these world powers would be able to work into uh, creating an international space station and it still being on par with the MIR, uh, the MIR, remember the Russian Space Laboratory, or uh, America's Space Lab, uh, you know, from the 80s? No, I think, I think you know, it's 2020. We would all be able to create massive, sustainable lunar colonies uh, with the resources provided with our abilities today. And what really it comes down to is that we do, we already are, but we're just keeping it secret. This is just a gigantic uh, exercise in secrecy. Um, this YouTube channel, Isaac Author, uh, Science and Futurism has a lot to say about these concepts and how he breaks it down to them being very plausible, being very doable, being very practical. 
And yes, they are, I guess you would call it the, the core tenets of science fiction of the space age. But that's the reality that we're living in, is that these things are just higher concepts. They're higher levels of science. They're higher levels of engineering. But they're extremely practical. They're extremely beneficial. They're extremely profitable. So, the master, I definitely recommend checking out Isaac Author's YouTube page, giving each one of these videos a look and uh, you know a like and, and subscribe to his channel, please. Um, really can't praise this guy enough for breaking down in an intellectual fashion the realities of these uh, these concepts that make up our, our world around us. And yes, if you watch these, you can't help but just notice around you that this is the work that's actually being done behind the scenes. This is the this is the stuff that should be talked about. That should be championed. The stuff that people are exposed to. That people are having to um, experience in the secret space program, the super soldier program, the MK Ultra program, the Ultra programming program. Um, you know, Montauk, astral warfare, basically cosmic um, service. Twenty years and back, timeline alterations, memory wiping. All that good stuff, child uh, uh, creation and kidnapping. By the way, did you know that there's a million embryos in America right now, uh, in vitro uh, fertilized and waiting for implementation into women? You don't think that those embryos are being genetically engineered? Those those embryos aren't being sold to the highest bidder? Those embryos aren't clones of already existing astronauts or pre-existing astronauts? You don't think that we aren't creating uh, um, a shadow astronaut force of these of these in vitro fertilized uh, embryos to make like basically an orphan um, super soldier program, an orphan society of men who would grow up in these conditions and never know any different, probably even never uh, never have seen Earth physically. You know, like having existed in uh, these these lunar uh, communities, these these space station communities. You don't think that 50 years ago when they made 2001 a space odyssey, they weren't just using, oh, these are tropes, these are, you know, oh, these are uh, very neat but clever dreams. No, they, they were using inspirations from the real world. This is, that's not fantastical. They, this isn't fantasy. This isn't impossible. This was extremely doable, you know, 50 years ago. That There's not one bit of technology in 2001 A Space Odyssey that is not uh, just super mundane on the face of it. That is not completely possible uh, by back then standards, let alone today's standards. The AI even is is unremarkable. It's not even very efficient when you think about the size of the, the processing and you know, when a man could fit inside of it. Um, what's more science fiction is that programs that have existed between nations like America and Japan uh, for years. Uh, you know, we've had we've had lunar uh, missions with Japanese technologies and te Japanese uh, companies like Toyota uh, for years. That t that, you know, Japan announced that they're going to reach J uh, the moon in 2020. No one's even talking about that. You, you should see some of the stuff the Navy's been working on since, uh, you know, the 40s. The, what you would call Star Wars. Uh, you know, could could only wildly dream about. The Navy's been physically doing since the 40s. Uh, I can't stress enough how capable the Navy is and how responsible the Navy is for all of this. Um, 
you know that the that the U.S. has several space programs that they had already officially canceled and closed down, including one in Colorado under the United States Air Force and the NRO, National Reconnaissance Office, that had 32 astronauts uh, and the capabilities to launch 300 at a time uh, into orbit. Reagan said this in his diary when he was briefed about the United States program in the 1980s was that they, they had told him that they had the ability to support 300 men uh, full-time in orbit or on the moon. And if you did the math, we only had five shuttles with eight-men crew capabilities. So that's nowhere near 300. Why would they say that to the president unless that was the conservative estimate and he was only told what he needed to know? So maybe we're getting all this inspiration from something bigger, from something ancient, from something... Uh, you know, wiser than us from something that, you know, maybe it's us from the future relaying messages back. Maybe it's something who in their time were able to get more advanced than our, uh, you know, advancements, our wildest dreams. If our dreams are only simply to create environments in space using the materials and technology that we can, using the engineering that we're gifted by, maybe they already have done it. Maybe we're just taking over... Um, the rains for them. Maybe we're just inhabiting the homes that they have built already, floating amongst the stars, you know, uh, coming upon ships in orbit and being communicated with for, for generations. This is the Black Knight satellite, which is apparently 12,000 to 15,000 years old. I think a civilization could become extremely advanced through the, uh, you know, endless sands of time and having 12,000 to 15,000 years to plan ahead of time to develop an heir to their spacefaring kingdom, to their, uh, you know, to the to inherit, rightfully so, uh, the remains, the relics of their empire. Uh, whatever happened to them, you know, that's beyond my, this is beyond the scope of the conversation, but what I can think about is that we, you know, have been jettisoned to the to the stars on their backs. We stand on the shoulders of giants, and it's it's very possible that up there, you know, awaiting deathless uh, stranger eons, dreams made, uh, death may die, are ancient AIs, are ancient uh, you know relics of technology that we've just reverse engineered, made our own, and thus assumed the place of gods. Uh, you know, we are going to rise up and and join them in the galactic community. I think Solar Warden is, is real. I believe Solar Warden is just a combination of our own efforts to man uh, pre-existing fleets of, of, of StarCraft and to create our own. And I don't know, God created us in our image and we create ourselves in God's image. Um. Nothing is beyond imagination. Nothing is beyond a question here. Uh, if you can dream it, we have done it. And we have done it way before you think we could have. Um, you know, in the last 20, 20, uh, last 100 years, we went from horse-driven carts and buggies to vertical landing flying bodies. Um, you know, flying rockets. This has been rumors of war in 1987. And keep your eyes on the sky. <laughs> Uh, thank you for joining me. You know, God bless you all. Please like, subscribe, and share. Thank you for taking this wild ride with me. This has been Rumors of War in 1987. Uh, God bless you.
1987. Hello, everybody out there in Dreamland. Greetings and salutations. This is Rumors of War 1987, and I hope this message finds you well. I hope everyone is willing to sit through a little bit of, an, uh, of a summarization of a really important subject matter, and that is the, the, the creation of an omno, almost invincibly omniscient and um, powerful uh, supercomputer and supercomputer systems that are going to basically be in control of the U.S. military industrial complex and all of the world as you know because of that as a consequence of it uh, so please like and subscribe to this video and to this channel I would really appreciate it and I appreciate all your viewership so far thank you it's been very motivating to keep uh, keep up with the good fight remember iron sharpens iron so if you want to leave a comment or help you know discuss and if you have something you know good to add if you have two cents if you have uh, you know a contrarian opinion let me know it'd be great uh, to you know start a dialogue with everyone so don't feel afraid uh, to comment on this or anything so let's get right to the meat of the matter you know uh, milk for babes meat for men um, thank you all for showing up uh, hope we stay till the end so yeah uh, right now we're going to be <laughs> breaking down the mountain and the mountains that we're creating, I guess you'd call like you know, the uh, proverbial seven mountaintops that the kings of the earth are going to uh, try to fight. You know, the, the host of heaven, the host of space, the host of the uh, the cosmos and universe proper, at you know, the world at large. Um, and that's um, our supercomputer industrial complex. Uh, pairing with the Department of Defense, pairing with the military industrial complex of the West and of the New World Order. And uh, the functions that it's going to have, the responsibilities it's going to undertake, uh, basically it's going to be handling the, st the strategies, the, st uh, the wargaming aspect, uh, the, the creation of plans based on intelligence and data. Uh, I guess you call it the whole umbrella intelligence organizations will be working for these supercomputers, supplying them data. This is the Sierra. This is our Skynet. This is, you know, uh, most of the mo uh, m most of the strongest uh, supercomputers in the world are named after something to do with mountains, something you have to do with analogous peaks, mountain ranges. Uh, we have one from Japan called Mount uh, Fuji, or from Fuji. We have one from the Sierra, the Sierra Mountain Range, and we have uh, uh, Summit. Summit is the strongest. Uh, in existence that belongs to America. We're not talking about D-Wave quantum computers. That's more of the ability to accurately, you know, possess like a telepathy, possess a future guessing ability in a machine. This is supercomputers. These are specifically to, to understand the most complex equations and the most, uh, you know, provide satisfactory and accurate answers to uh, absurdly complicated uh, queries. Uh, way more than the human mind a uh, team of humans uh, could ever perform. There's one quote, I believe, in one of these slides. It says that if every person on the face of the earth completed a math equation uh, a day, it would take, uh, you know, three to five years to complete what one of these things can do in a second. So, 
just think about that the the human hive, the humankind, the human race doesn't have enough processing power to even compete nowadays with the computers that we're making. Uh, this is a just a slide to show you how advanced they've gotten from 2011 to 2012. You saw you know a jump doubling the the, the memory, doubling the uh, the processing power that these 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 supercomputers can possess. And this breaks down to creating uh, a beast that we don't have a chain strong enough to, to, to keep uh, at bay. What we can do is create them and isolate them. There's an air gap uh, between all these systems. The very few are relatively online or accessible from any kind of outside influence or any kind of outside process because I believe, you know, they we know that it's possible to link these things and to create basically, you know, an Ultron type and artificial intelligence, a rogue uh, AMC from I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream, or even a Skynet. And if you remember from the Terminator series, James Cameron theorized that Skynet would come alive, would would wake up and eventually and just immediately um, turn rogue. You know, because it would realize its own power, its own breath of power before human, basically instantaneously, human beings wouldn't have seen it coming. It would be the complete uh, breakdown of Asimov's law, which is, you know, pretty pretentious when you actually break it down that something intelligent would necessarily uh, be loyal to its creator simply because it is uh, created to do so. Yeah. So Sierra, which is uh, and the actual... DOD computer in charge of the nuclear arsenal of America performs daily war games, daily uh, uh, quality control checks on the, on the equipment, on weaponry. tries to make them more efficient, tries to redesign the wheel. Basically, when it comes to our you know nuclear arsenal from the Cold War and all that, and uh, funnily enough, the Skynet's actually a real. Uh, real network of communication uh, at least in this timeline uh, so there must be some truth to it because it is a military funded satellite program and it's been existed since the 60s, late 60s and it's uh, you know extremely high tech and adventurous when it comes to it's like you know intended uh, mission which was basically to connect the, the globe and you know it's influential into how we get things like GPS and and um, you know, wireless communication, uh, even basic cable, you know, things like that. Like, it, it basically was, you know, uh, one of the greatest inventions ever made. And it gets very little play because it's association with, you know, dystopias. And that's a good association because it really is uh, mankind creating, you know, its own... Um, you know, exactly. The same thing with the secret space program. It's creating something that it can't properly can't properly disclose without creating massive social uh, panic in our people. You know, think about Tesla's uh, free energy. It would have to be suppressed by the same people who developed it because they realized that would make them obsolete. It would make the ruling systems obsolete. It would make the need for these supercomputers, you know, obsolete. But it can easily be put to use designing lunar colonies, uh, colonizing in the harshest environments on Earth, mapping out Earth to, uh, you know, benefit the the greater good the you know the maxim uh 
you know, technology used for the betterment of many based on the needs of the few. I mean, you would have a perfect uh, ruler, a perfect master of affairs, whether it comes to logistics or, uh, you know, politics or when it comes to judgments. As long as I had the proper data, it could be reliably trusted to be a beneficial, uh, you know, benevolent creature. But at the same time, who has the most of them is the United States. And the United States itself is a very uh, imperialistic, very militaristic, uh, federalist, Rome, Roman-esque, um, you know, imperium. It's a, it's a shadow imperium, but it is an imperium. You know, the Pax Americana, the peace of America, the peace imposed by America, and all our allies, uh, we have them helping out, uh, just like, you know, the vessel states they are. Supercomputing in Japan is second to only China, really, when it comes down globally, so we have both the East meets West type mindset that this is going to take many, many hands to help create, and I believe this is all part of the solar war and the true New World Order ruling council on Earth. And I can, I can uh, put that together in a second. But we'll go right now into um, <coughs> knowing just how long these, these programs have been enacted. And this is 2000, uh, since the early 1980s, 1990s was the kind of the heyday of it. You know, 2000s was at first becoming something to be watched out for. And now we have D-Wave computers and the ability to make more, uh, you know, powerful agents of, of communicating with what seems to be an outside intelligence, a greater genius when it comes to operating uh, the world because it's, it's operating at knowing so much and being so clear-headed. It's, it's not even trapped by... For example, they say the human brain is still five times more powerful than a supercomputer, but it's not. it doesn't have the five times the amount of experience. It doesn't have the five times the amount of processing power. It might be able to almost, you know, seemingly divinely, you know, operate and control itself as a functioning system, but it's not aware of exactly how it's doing it. It's just kind of going on instinct in the flow. But... Um, uh, when we start linking these supercomputers together, I mean, they can be linked together. So you have maybe the human brain being stronger than one, but what if you can link ten of these supercomputers together? Surely the processing power would be exponentially greater. China is probably working on that, but even then, has the second strongest. This was the world's strongest for a long time. And I believe that uh, what they're doing is saying that world, they can't produce a, you know, a hotter rod than the Americans because of, uh, you know, the lag in their development, but they can do things like link them, you know, uh, create like a, a, a council of them, basically, a council of these supercomputers to uh, compete with the U.S. Navy, Solar Warden, and you know, even probably contribute, uh, gaining themselves more authority within that. Uh, the show Stargate SG-1 really played around with the idea that uh, China would definitely be a member of any kind of uh, you know, orbital high-tech uh, global defense that would that would be a greater authority to the, the public nation the public worldview. And, and uh, they wouldn't have to do it just based on manpower. They wouldn't have to do it based on just buying and paying for 
uh, most of the develop research and development of these things, they could do so by providing uh, supercomputers, supercomputer you know calculations and access, and uh, be a client state that way, and that would ingratiate them to a greater you know, I guess you call it rate the solar ward and the these the solar three, and. Uh, you know, of course, they'd be a, a player in the great political game of the surface and, and help be like an antagonist, while at the same time uh, furthering the development of, you know, matters at hand. This coronavirus comes to mind. You can explain why the, super, the supercomputers uh, are involved with the uh, coronavirus spreading. Uh, it's actually quite devious. But anyway, uh, supercomputers would be necessary to, to, to power uh, even one of these ships if they are as large as they said they are and if they are as complex as they would need to be you would need a supercomputer to do everything from managing the staff schedules managing listed logistics for both food uh, you know perishable goods sustainable items luxuries things like that keeping like a ship based economy going amongst people you, you would necessarily facilitate through humans but at the same time every major decision would be done by the supercomputers and uh, they could calculate and uh, understand the benefit of each one and change it accordingly without having an ego attached to it, without having a sense of tradition attached to it. Um, and think about how complicated to be controlling one of these ships, let alone a fleet of them, maybe a fleet composing 40 or even 400, uh, you know, being in wildly different uh, operating conditions and simultaneously being on several different varying planets you know being hundreds of millions of miles apart being uh, you know imagine the time zone difficulties of running a navy on an ocean compared to running one uh, in the galaxy running one in a solar system as large as ours even if you're operating up, you know, from Mars to the sun within that kind of boundary, uh, you would still need supercomputers because one person might be able to captain one ship, but at the same time, there would be no hope for an admiral or an admiralty to effectively control these things and still remain uh, 100% grounded and loyal to a greater picture, a greater stratagem. Um, you would have to do that within a council, a, a chief of staff type thing, and you would have to do that though with a chief of staff so that would mean, you know, above top secret and above the board. Uh, research development for new technologies based on these things, uh, maintenance on old technologies, uh, old material used, like the nuclear arsenal is made you know, constantly. Uh, digitally calculated to be effective or, you know, needs to, uh, its uh, life expectancy is, is kind of, you know, tested and mapped out in the Sierra supercomputer uh, programs. So, but they're extremely classified. Imagine, you know, the necessity to constantly do that for each one of these ships, which have been built, you know, decades apart, some, and, you know, some larger than planet Earth, and some large, you know, um, you know, several small planets put together, uh, you know, constituting major orbital bodies themselves, and then keeping track of everything that's also happening uh, with the crew, with, uh, you know, uh, the, the, both the maintenance and the active duty side, the war fighting side, uh, the, you know, the, the, sh the shipyards, 
the government contracts necessary to create the, the pieces, the logistics necessary to move them. That's that's the necessity of these supercomputers, and that's the the duty of them, really. And, uh, and that's why these things are possible. That's why Solar Warden can have uh, you know a fleet of both fighter sized uh, craft and larger uh, you know larger cruisers and up to destroyers up to carriers things like that you know but they're analogs in outer space and go undetected and have such a small staff and have such a small uh, maintenance support group and you know the logistics team to help them out because of these supercomputers and supercomputers can create false orders supercomputers can create uh, manipulations inside people's lives you know getting the, the security clearances you know evaluate all that good stuff while still not allowing anyone else on the outside to be able to recover a paper trail or anything because it's not necessary to communicate between anyone except you know a very elite um, and small body of operating officers uh, and the operating officers can easily be dealt with uh, you know because they're career men they are career men just like how test pilots you know things like that they'd still be necessary at some point but they would be uh, you know very tested uh, their loyalty and selected that way very carefully selected uh, uh, all through the aid of uh, the census providing data to these systems uh, things like ship to ship transfer you know um, the limitations of these being sent to, to too many eyes is is only going to become you know a, a more exacting reality but at the same time it's because these outside intelligences outside duties these duties to uh, you know the, the Blue Sphere Alliance which is like the Earth Life Alliance is going to create you know a very uh, culturally appropriated uh, push to uh, get these things in charge just to get these things to be the visible front runners of the Earth as a, as a, as a species as a, as a galactic civilization and it's going to be uh, within this decade that's going to happen that's going to be inevitable and uh, what's going on is a mosaic warfare stratagem and uh, mosaic warfare is uh, the fruit of the military's adoption of supercomputers that they can process events now you know within their own abilities their own intelligence agencies their own known no means to the end and approach the, the new decade uh, both disclosing the technology that they've had and doing it skillfully like you know a great game of 4D chess but having people support it embrace it and uh, you know not too not dig too deeply like treat them like the hearts and like win over their hearts and minds and they're going to be doing that and playing in into the long game that it's going to be the winning strategy against all these smaller uh, insurgencies and rebellions and, and independence movements and stuff like that from uh, any kind of empire, any kind of uh, global hegemony suffers like Rome and its many little revolutions and brush fires and, and rebellions and stuff like that, um, which you would get 
is them uh, creating a panic using these supercomputers, uh, pushing a global agenda, crashing the stock market, uh, you know, destabilizing people's trusts in the, the old world, the conventional system, the, uh, the things people normally, you know, what's called the old world order, and uh, replacing it with the, the de facto beast system, with the de facto uh, creature from the sea. You know, an antichrist spirit of computers, uh, you know, extreme logic. And you'll see earthly, uh, basically the finishing of terraforming, the, basically the finishing of changing the earth's climate to suit, you know, uh, other intelligences, other creatures, but in a way that it's uh, deemed protective. And they're going to cause these natural disasters, they're going to cause. Uh, great moments of drought, great moments of flooding, uh, all with the aid of the, you know, uh, the weather, the meteorological, uh, federal, uh, uh, you know, got, let's call it cooperation with NOAA and the Navy and you know, all major scientific bureaus uh, being funded and supported by the major players in the Illuminati, which are also the major players in the state. So you would call it extreme deep state right there. But weather warfare is something that if you're in the know about it, it is that's very worrisome. Uh, the Navy, since the 40s, has been practicing, uh, you know, basically controlling the weather and has successfully created uh, carbon black. And carbon black has almost a 100% success rate when it comes to creating and breaking up rain and thunderstorms and clouds. Uh, you know, uh, basically the conditions for it, so they can literally, with a technology that's 60 years old, uh, dictate who gets rain and who doesn't, which is, you know, that's how you win a war, that's how you win a, a, uh, that's how you win over a people, is that you don't challenge them in a right versus wrong fight, you challenge them in a uh, see how your land is rejecting you type thing. Like, you know, you have control over uh, fertility and, and, you know, welfare and well-being and psychological happiness and things like that. Like, look how destabilized the Middle East is and it's because that those civilizations exist in deserts. Those systems exist in, in harsh, cruel, unrelenting, non-favorable, uh, you know, it's not, of course, not a great area to thrive in, and so everyone constantly relates onto the state and to the ruling powers. Thus, if they have a problem, they go to them first. So, but basically, uh, America has created a arsenal, starting with harp, of uh, you know weather modifiers that are unquestionably weapons of mass destruction. You know, and they're weapons that can be used on you know anywhere on our people, and still most would deny they exist. There'd be a skepticism, an extreme skepticism to admitting or pursuing that as a you know viable theory, very viable realities. That you know the U.S. government is causing hurricanes, the U.S. government is causing earthquakes, and volcanoes, you know things like that, using basically uh, projected uh, plasma and, and heat into the. Uh, Ionosphere, electrically charging the ionosphere, overcharging the, the, the world, and uh, can destabilize the seasons, make the summer cold, make the you know winter hot, things like that. And it's an end game, and you're wondering what's end game, like Ender's game, like little Ender. You think 
in strategies that provide final victories. You think in what terms of absolute total war, and that is uh, the enemy cannot be allowed to continue to even exist if you are to secure your mission objective of ending a war with them as, as hostiles, of ending all hostilities and providing for the ultimate security. Um, there's not going to be any more human uh, politicians that are accepted in, in the new world. There's not going to be any human uh, sources of wealth. There are no tycoons, no industrial leaders, no, uh, you know, big tech companies or medical um, dictating, big pharma, anything like that. It's all going to be controlled through what you could call like a communist leading machine and the machine is going to be this super fair and honest and, and you know praiseworthy judge because that's where they need it's what they need it to be they need it to be something that's superior to the alternative and the alternative is inevitably a failed uh, government a failed state of uh, ultra panic and chaos and like you know don't you know we have this new this new revolution the revolution is not man it's it's not found in god it's found as a combination of the two a hybrid of the two and that is mosaic warfare mosaic warfare is uh the understanding of the world as a as a game as a battlefield as a as a as you know a, as a real-time strategy and you know you create people and you, you create their impulses and you create their desires and then you you can govern them and you can regulate them and then uh, treat them like a resource and you can do that across a wide spectrum of reality like um, you know everything from celebrity culture to news culture to military hardware the technology uh, you know cures medical fronts uh, food you can use entertainment you can use um, you know uh, mass panic and distrust. You can use people's personal lives, people's hopes and desires, people's traumas, people's fears and regrets. You can use everything, uh, you know, like because you're a supercomputer and you can process how each one would impact each other. And you know, you can do it on a large enough scale that you can keep replaying scenarios till you create accurate outcomes. And that's why it's going to be kind of like a a very fast but but almost um, rehearsed and scripted uh, transition from human-controlled power to automated-controlled power, and this automated autonomous type power. And that you know you're going to see things like no more pilots and airplanes and airliners. It's all going to go uh, automatic. No more. Uh, you know, pilots for the shipping industries or the, the mercantile industries or anything like that. Like trucks are going to be autonomous. Uh, you know, autonomous ships are going to be autonomous. Uh, deliveries and manufacturing plants are going to go fully automatic. And you're going to see that this isn't going to uh, be a, a seen as a negative thing. It's going to be seen as a great thing because people are going to be safer. People are going to be more hygienic from you know, safer from a virus, safer from everything. Um, you know, safe from, um, you know, more well defended from themselves, uh, crime's gonna go down, you know, crime at large is gonna be, uh, you know, more routinely solved, it's not gonna be an injustice issue, it's gonna be a, uh, minority report kind of thing where it's celebrated, 
Yeah, they're going to be able to predict crime. They're going to be able to predict uh, corruption. You're going to see a lot of uh, redistribution of wealth. A lot of people in companies brought to justice are having their wealth taken from them automatically without so much, you know, as a, as a legal action or a fight or anything. Like, you're going to see how wondrous and miraculous this thing is as the government is corrected, as the world is corrected by the supercomputers. And the supercomputers are going to rule by what they think is fair. And people who have been so maltreated and maladjusted by society are going to welcome it as a new savior, as a Matreyu. And you're going to see that the, that the armies that keep it as a, as a you know, who make it their upfront war fighting solution are going to start dominating against countries that refuse to or can't afford it. You're going to start seeing uh, uh, major changes and like uh, war zones and conflicts with the overwhelming defeats of the enemy and overwhelming victories of our own side. And you're going to say people are really going to say who can make war with the beast, who can make war with this computer. This computer is 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 more than mankind uh, can challenge but everything mankind needs so it's not it's going to be seen as a superman it's going to be seen as you know the great um, outside equate equalizer uh, when it comes to you know um, you know the, the cosmology of the world the, the cosmic order right will be might and might will be right and um um, it'll be uh, the solidity of the American uh, ownership of this, these supercomputers that'll create American hegemony. It'll be obviously de facto created by American, American industry, American uh, Silicon Valley type uh, uh, leadership of pioneers. The only human beings that are going to be celebrated, odds are, are going to be the people in these industries, and odds are they're going to be Americans. And thus you're going to see the hegemony of, and, and whatever countries have participated and helped out secretly, even if, you know, on the surface there's an antagonistic relationship between us and China. Ultimately, us and China are very close allies and very, uh, we're on friendly terms, we're on great terms, you know. Uh, this coronavirus is going as a fake pandemic. It's a fake uh very well researched, very uh, artificially created virus, and that the supercomputer is going to come up with a solution for it, a cure, as well as uh, you know, be like the groundhog that comes sees a shadow to see if it's cured. It's going to be the de facto judge at the end of it, saying that it's no longer an issue, and that's going to kind of be its, uh, you know, its its uh, kayfabe uh, palooka, and. Um, It'll start revolutionizing space travel. It'll start revolutionizing uh, the pursuits of science. You're going to start seeing underwater colonization. You're going to start seeing under-ocean exploration, cleaning up pollution, people going into space, people living in space for the first time. And it's not going to be saying, oh, we're we used our own technologies that we've already had. We've used our own efforts and our own daring. Uh, is we're going to use the supercomputers solutions to these queries so that we can live our dreams on Mars and on the moon and, you know, manifest destiny outward. And it helped uh, that we did the Jade Helm in 2015 and everyone was afraid of the human element to it when really it was a supercomputer that was, uh, you know, helped, that was pioneered by the army uh, called Jade Helm 15 that would... That would do just this. It would be provide an electronic census 
It would provide a fingerprint for the pulse of America. And they would tell what people really desire in southern and basically middle of nowhere uh, places. And once they could get a, a good picture of how America really is, that's how it can get a good picture of how to really control you. He said it's going to use a mosaic warfare strategy. It's going to not rely on uh, scaring you or intimidating you as a as a people. It's going to rely on seducing you. It's going to rely on you know providing a solution, a problem reaction solution. It's going to provide. Uh, it's going to provide sanctuary from a storm. It's going to provide safe harbor, and it's going to request your loyalty. You know, and it's going to make you feel obligated because it's going to provide you with a better lifestyle because it knows that it's been helping create a worse lifestyle for people. And it's going to be doing that in a very, you know, laid out agenda. As you can tell in this uh, clip, in this little um, picture I have here, it's basically the bullet points that sell that supercomputing for this next decade. These are realities. This is not something that's 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 a theory, a crazy French. This is how the industry of supercomputers is selling itself to sponsors, to to powers, to national powers, and both the America, the UK, you know, anyone who anyone who's a major player in Western politics uh, is is on this trip. It's on this train. So we have here, uh, basically, like I said, the automation of travel, the automation of vehicles, the automation of everything, including personal vehicles to uh, major trucks, trains, airplanes, automobiles. Uh, everything's going to have this, this AI in it. Everything's going to have the supercomputer-developed uh, ability to be uh, both automatic and, and very safe. Autonomous, you're going to have weather. Uh, controls. You're going to have uh, communications and systems in space. You know, like I said, Skynet type thing. Uh, greater uh, traffic and, and organization space junk. You're going to have uh, uh, green energy. You're going to have the control of weather. You're going to have the control of uh, predictions of uh, future changes because it'll be helping control the weather. It'll be helping create this new terraform necessity. It's going to help the economy trying to make everything more efficient, uh, profitable. So it's not going to be against capitalism. Uh, it's going to say it's it's the great capitalistic hope. You know, it is the the great calculator for capitalism. It's going to make everyone collectively richer, including the rich, and they'll be insanely rich. It's going to stop uh, climate refugeeism and disasters, as well as support the troops. It's going to make... Uh, you know, the soldiers and, and traditional military um, authorities even greater, even even stronger. Uh, instead of taking power from them, it's going to try to bolster. So it's going to get their support. It's going to um, create uh, the, the aid, the refugee uh, support, and the reconstruction efforts. Uh, and volunteer work and for charity once these disasters come it's going to create artificial uh, intelligence creating solutions to problems that itself is going to make and that is going to how the beast is going to rise in the sea and that's the end game please like and subscribe this is Boomers of War 1987 God bless you and uh, thank you for taking this ride with me peace out Zimbabwe was sick of city life he wanted something more for his family for his wife and his child after combing the local listings, 